WDBM East Lansing. The impact. You're listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure gives a voice to our community and provides a forum for discussing the relevant issues of today. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, this is Impact Exposure. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Exposure on the Impact 89FM, Michigan State University's student-run news program. Tonight on the show, we talk about Lansing Vixens, the roller derby team, Golden Harvest, the breakfast joints in Lansing, and marijuana legalization petitions, and a whole lot more. But first, here's your weekly Impact update. Now it's time for an update from Impact News. Exposure will return in just a moment, but first, here's your weekly Impact update. Business and pop culture icon Donald Trump announced today he is running for president. Trump made the announcement this morning in the luxurious Trump Tower on Fifth Avenue in New York. He told the crowd that the American dream is dead, and his mission is to bring it back to life. Boasting his net worth and the fact he owns a Gucci store worth more than Romney, Trump believes that being the most successful man yet to run for president will put the country back on track. Donald Trump's presidential run has been in the air for two decades, but he says he is serious this time. Trump plans to put an end to politics he says are heavy on talk and light on action. Next, we go to Jack Montgomery covering a new state bill. The state Senate has passed a bill that would provide protection to the public and law enforcement in the event of an attack on an officer. The Senate approved the measure Wednesday, sponsored by Senator Tanya Shootmaker, whose district includes Allegan County. The blue alert system created by Senate Bill 366 will inform the public about attacks on law enforcement across various mediums similar to an Amber Alert. Shootmaker hopes that the new system will help locate and capture the criminal in a timely manner. The bill is now under the review of the House Committee on Criminal Justice. With your state news, I'm Jack Montgomery. Now we go to Impact reporter Marissa Saldivia with the launch of the Electronic Entertainment Expo. The largest trade fair for the video gaming industry in the world, E3, started today. Although the event just started, the big video game announcements have been scattered throughout the past two days. Some of the big names that were dropped were Fallout 4, Star Wars Battlefront, The Last Guardian, and more. Many of these announcements have come as a pleasant surprise to the video gaming community, and their internet is reacting in kind. With your entertainment news, I'm Marissa Saldivia. With your weekly Impact Update, I've been Audrey Matus. Now back to Exposure. Next up on the show, we will talk about the rather confusing effort to legalize marijuana in Michigan. Chris Silvia explains. So Chris Silva is here with us right now, a campaign manager of MI Legalize. How are you doing today, Chris? Very well. Thank you for having me. Today we are talking about a potential vote happening in November of 2016 uh, about marijuana. That's right. Can you break it down for us? What is this vote? Is it up yet? Do we still need more signatures? What's going on? Sure. So as it stands right now, um, yesterday, two two groups, um, ballot committees, had their language approved by the state board of canvassers to form. So this is the state saying, yeah, you can, you know, this this petition follows all the, the rules and forms that, that we need to follow. You can start circulating this. So as of now, there's two um, groups that are out there, my group being one of them and another, um, that are trying to legalize marijuana at the ballot. So to do that, we need about 255,000 valid signatures, um, and we would be shooting for the November 
2016 ballot. So if you do get enough signatures, then this could be this is it'll be on the ballot to legalize marijuana in the state of Michigan, right? Right. This would be um, if 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 it made it to the ballot, and then if it were you know uh, voted in the affirmative by the voters, this would be a law that would legalize marijuana for adults 21 and over. Um, it would set up a regulatory system to have um, that industry be regulated by the state. Um, it would take tax dollars out of the out of the the sales and basically add a sales tax on additional sales tax on a marijuana um, specifically and that would get kicked back into the, the local municipalities education things that we all really need as a state right. um, and more importantly is it stops immediately locking people up in, in jails and prisons for marijuana which is in many many states in fact i think 23 a a recognized medicinal product you know right, so right um, so let's backtrack a little bit um the legalization of marijuana has happened in a couple states. It's happened in Washington, Colorado, I think Oregon too. Right. Um, what does this mean? Because it's still not legalized federally. Are there still issues? Yeah. So there's definitely still a lot of uh, federal issues with marijuana because it's still a Schedule One narcotic. So it's still. I mean, it's just as illegal as heroin, cocaine. You know, all of that stuff to the federal mm -hmm. government. So there's there's specifically where it's been a, a big issue has been with. Um, people who are in the legal marijuana industry who want to do banking and things like that. A lot of the the banks that rely on the federal regulatory agencies and, and systems are just really afraid to take on these new these new clients, these new customers, because they're just not sure how this is going to roll out. There's still a lot of um, really intense um, civil forfeiture laws across the country. So like anything to do with the industry is still kind of precarious right now. So I think as more as more states um, do move into recreational legalization as well as you know uh, medical marijuana, which there's far more states that have that than than recreational, I think that the federal government will be forced to kind of deal with getting a, a framework that will make sense that, that that deals with the reality that other states have 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 chose to go this way. So it's you know it's it's precarious at best, but I, I think that I think that, in general, the trend is going towards um, legalization of, of recreational marijuana. Okay. Um, so then what about the state or below the state, the city regulations? I know that in Lansing it's been decriminalized for a while. And uh, you mentioned before this interview here that uh, East Lansing recently decriminalized it too. That's correct. What, is, what does that mean? So um, in essence, what this, what this basically means is it means that the state – or I'm sorry, these cities, these municipal levels have just – stopped enforcing any sort of law as 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 it regards to, to marijuana in the sense that and this is just for up to a small amount like if you're if you're growing a warehouse of illegal marijuana in lansing you're, you're probably still going to go to jail you know right. um but what this does is it just it, it it takes the pressure off police to make these small value arrests on on people who are, are carrying small amounts of marijuana but it's just decriminalized in the sense that there's not a regulatory scheme for it so you couldn't start a legal, like marijuana, recreational marijuana business in Lansing, for instance, because there's no regulatory framework to do that. I mean, you might be able to get away with it for like a few days and not go to jail or something, but there's you, you can't like file for like a business license. You can't, you can't, you can't do all the things you need to that we require all of our other um, legitimate businesses to do. So that's that's I guess a pretty big difference between decriminalization and, and legalization. 
So right now there are dispensaries in Lansing, though, right? Absolutely. And these are these can happen because they're medical dispensaries, right? They're they're under the Michigan Medical Marijuana Act, and they're um, you know a, a, a caregiver to patient transaction, and not not a, a traditional retail, which is what we think of when we think of Colorado. You know, people standing in line for like hours and hours on the first day of legal marijuana. They're like it's not they're not retail venues. They're more more like a, a pharmacy, I guess, mm-hmm. in, in that sense. Mm-hmm. But they're still operating in a, in a very gray area, and it's still, you know, dispensaries do get shut down from time to time. Um, in fact, there was a raid just last a couple weeks ago in, in up north in Gaylord. So, like, there's still – these things still happen, but, um, yeah, they are operating in Lansing. Okay, so this brings us back to uh, the original discussion we are having about the petitioning. So uh, you guys right now are looking for signatures to get this – Whole, all all marijuana to be legalized for recreational use in the state of Michigan, right? Right. And how many signatures do you need for that? We need about 255,000 valid signatures. So we're going to overcollect. We're going to try to get more than what we need. Um, it's a tough issue, and definitely having another marijuana petition out there makes things a little bit more confusing. Right, yeah. So let's talk about this. You said there's at least one more group gathering uh, right. signatures. Uh what, what are they gathering signatures for? Is it something completely different? Not completely different. Um, actually... Parts of it very similar. They also want to um, legalize marijuana for adults over 21. Um, and the real difference is the amount of home grow that they think is appropriate. Um, they have it capped at a smaller number. We have a, a larger grow number, 12, 12 plants for a personal personal use and consumption. Um, and another thing, and this is the big sticking point for us, is they open up the law to be interpreted by the legislature. So they in their let in their in their bill it says, you know, the legislature shall come up with the the regulatory board and a set of regulations for the marijuana industry. And since many of the people who are um, contributing and supporting the initiative that I'm working for are people that work in the medical marijuana industry, and they've seen that since medical marijuana has happened in Michigan, the legislature has not been good about setting regulations and setting um, any sort of system up for how legal medical marijuana that we all voted for would be distributed to patients, people who need them. And like, that's, that's the thing. This isn't, this isn't recreational marijuana. This is for people who actually need medical marijuana. And so we feel that leaving it up to the state to decide is a bad idea because they've already not done it once on marijuana. And we know that the legislation that we have um, will work. It'll be the most fair. It'll protect patients. It won't touch the Medical Marijuana Act. Um, and it also will help the people that are already participating um, very precariously um, in the medical marijuana industry to transition into recreational marijuana and to be contributing to our economy. And, and at a time in Michigan when we need all the help we can get to, to rebuild an economy, this is a place where we can have good, high-paying jobs. You know, in California, a lot of the dispensary workers are unionized. They have pension. They have health care. You know, these are the things that we're trying to get into our state, and we want to do this. We want to stop wasting money locking people up for this, um, and we're, we're very confident that our particular legislation is the most fair um, and the most practical way to do that because we don't have to rely on the government um, to do this for us, and we've seen like, they can't even fix the roads. They, 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 so, like, they, they can't you can't rely on these guys um, for something that's so important to revitalizing our economy. And that's definitely the biggest difference between our, our petition and the current, um, um, I guess not competition, but the current um, other marijuana petition. 
Right, and did you say that there was actually not only one, but potentially a third? There, yeah, there is potentially a third. So there's a ballot committee formed. It's called the Michigan Responsibility Council Coalition, um, and they want they've they've toyed around with the idea of having a model that's actually very similar to um, a ballot initiative in Ohio, which Ohio, if they were to do this ballot initiative and vote on it and win, would become the first state to not have medical marijuana first and just go directly to full recreational marijuana sales. And what their plan calls for is to have 10, um, 10 facilities that handle all of the commercial growing of marijuana. And those, those are set in stone now. If you go read their petition, you can read the addresses of where those places will be. Um, and those would be the only people that could grow marijuana legally in the state, which would basically make it a monopoly. Um, and so the Michigan Responsibility Council has kind of hinted that this might be uh, a solution that they favor for Michigan. And we are obviously... Um, very much against that because uh, we think a big part of the benefit of legalizing marijuana is that this is a economic stimulus package to the to the working mm-hmm. class to to people who are um, not millionaires already who right. couldn't put a million dollars into a, a petition drive to make it happen. Um, so that that's a potential. They're a ballot committee. They haven't formed language yet, um, but I imagine if they wanted to, they would just buy the signatures and and we it's it's totally possible. There's three marijuana petitions on the ballot. Yeah. So. What I'm hearing now is that a big concern might be that someone who cares about marijuana legalization might just sign a marijuana petition right. and then call it good. Like, you know, I did it. I'm for marijuana. But it could be any number of these threes, and we're essentially splitting the vote, uh, separating them all into three groups here. So then it wouldn't – they'd all be less potent, right? Right. It could definitely split the uh, split the potency of all, of all the – the initiatives. Um, I, I think also it it is troubling, but I think the best the best takeaway from that on our perspective is that this shows that marijuana and, and the cannabis industry is really transcending every political ideology. You know, um, like the the Michigan Cannabis Coalition, the other the other group that has a petition in the field. These these are these are conservative Republicans. These are people that were staffers for the Bush administration, staffers for the Senate majority leader, you know, they're very, very Republican. And I think it's a good thing that everyone across the political spectrum realizes this is a good thing um, and that we need to move forward. And I think it's, you know, we can we can leave it up to the people of Michigan to make the right call on these things. Uh, I'm very confident that they often do. And I'm confident, too, just based on the November 2014 election, um, that the people realize that, you know, you have to step in sometimes because this legislature isn't always going to do what it should do. Like I think a perfect example is the Wolf Campaign, where the people voted on two referendums to overturn the decisions of the legislature. You know, I, I worked on that campaign as well, and I feel like those those kinds of uh, same themes kind of come in here, which is you know we we have a chance to do this right. Maybe let's not have the legislature be involved with it because they've not done they've not done well on marijuana. So if someone's uh, interested in learning about these different petitions and deciding for themselves which one they'd like to sign, is, where can they go to find out more about them? Um, well, you can go to our website, milegalize.com, um, and you can find out information about our petition. Um, all of these groups have been you know, talked about fairly well in the mainstream media, so you can, you can find out about them there. Um, and one thing I guess I'd be remiss not to say why I have your listeners here is that you totally can sign all three. It won't make you know one one of your signatures not count somewhere, um, and you could potentially vote for all three. Um, obviously, I would like you to support my petition, but you know, I just don't want people to be out there 
not sure of their rights as a citizen because right, you know, that's, right. that's the most important thing. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much for coming in today, Chris. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You are listening to Exposure on the Impact 89FM. I'm your host, Quinn Hoffman. Up next, we have Audrey Matus, who sits down with two Lansing Vixens to talk about the local roller derby team. So Lansing Vixens is the only WFTDA in Lansing. It's Women's Flat Track Derby Association. And this year, they have one of their toughest, best lineups of yet. And so I'm sitting down with the communications chair and sponsorship chair here to talk about the team and sort of their goals for this year and years to come. So could you mind introducing yourself, your first name, nickname, and last name? Hi, my name is Eileen. Um, Mams is my nickname. Letterly is my last name. And I am the communications chair for the Lansing Derby Vixens. And I also skate with Capital Corruption, which is our B-level travel team. Thank you so much for allowing us to be here. My name is Melissa. My derby name is Cynthia Rose. My last name is Terry. I am the sponsorship committee chair, and I am also co-captain for Old Town Beatdown, which is our C-level team. Awesome. So we're here with Melissa and Eileen. Okay, so let's start off with first. Um, on your website, it's set on Lansing Vixen's website, it says this 2015 is like our best schedule. So can you explain a bit more about what that means in terms of your goals? Well, we have a lot of different goals. One of the, our biggest goals that doesn't have to as much to do with our games is being in the Lansing community and really hanging out in Lansing, bringing cool things to Lansing, being a part of everything that's cool in Lansing. And so we think that being able to have games at home in our own space at the summit in Diamonddale is really important. It's an exciting event that people can come out and see on a weekend. Um, a couple years ago, we were rated the best place to go for a first date. Um, so that was pretty cool. But we are playing some tough teams. We just broke the top 100 in the world. So we're 97th in the world, which is exciting. And mm -hmm. we're always pushing to move up further. And we're also just pushing to be better, to work together better as a team, to have cool sponsors, to go to cool events, to be able to travel. So 2015 is our fifth season which is really exciting. A lot of leagues don't manage to keep it together for as long as we have been able to. It's been amazing to see the team and the league grow this year. Last year, we acquired our junior team, which has an A and a B level team. Last night, we had a doubleheader with our B junior team and our C adult league. And it was just so much fun to describe and have new fans in the stands explaining to them what Derby is. And we have such a unique, diverse fan base and league and it's just really fun to be part of the lansing community yeah so lansing vixens is kind of like a overall team but there's several little teams you can be a part of that's cool so yeah so it's the the lansing derby vixens is the league name and so we have three adult teams and two junior teams so our a level travel team is called the all-stars and they're the ones that help us move up in the rankings. Um, they travel to a lot of tournaments, so it's a huge time commitment to be on the All-Stars, and it's really exciting to have that many people that are interested. And then our B-level team doesn't travel quite as much. It's Capital Corruption. Um, we skate a lot more at home, and we do a lot of scrimmages. And then our C-level team is really has been amazing that we have been able to start up a C-level team because it's really the training ground for all of the amazing potential and all of 
the skill level that's going to translate into people jumping right into the B-level team and into the A-level team. But the C-level team also travels, which is something that a lot of leagues don't have. Um, and then we have two juniors teams. So junior roller derby has pretty much the same rule set as adult roller derby, but it's um, under 18. Okay. So you can start when you're seven years old. And when you're younger, you're probably going to be on the B-level team, which is the Miss Kits. There's different um, contact rules, of course. So the older skaters cannot hit the younger skaters as much as they would be able to with someone of a comparable age or skill level. And then we also have the Lansing Junior Vixens All-Stars. Can you explain a bit more about like the culture of roller derby? So like, I know you guys don't call, it's not really games, they're called bouts. And like, what does kind of a bout look like? Well, I think like any other sport, we, we have our own language. So uh, in a bout, you have five players from each team out on the track at any given time. You have the jammer, and that is the skater that's scoring points for every opposing team member that she passes. So you have your jammer, who's the really usually active one, circling around. And then you have your blockers, which are trying to support their jammers to get through the pack and blocking the opposing jammer. The bat, The pack is the combined group of teams. Okay. So it's a really exciting um, mix. There's a lot of, if you watch a lot of different sports, you can see the influences from different sports. So there are some checking rules, like in hockey. Um, there's some, some of the checking that comes from football and some of that contact. And then there's also kind of the in the paint play that comes from basketball. And those are all the different kinds of contact that we end up doing on the track. So it is a full contact sport. Um which is a lot of fun. <laughs> but and what makes it amazing, and what I appreciate more than anything, my experience with the Vixens, the first thing that they teach us is how to properly fall. Mm -hmm. And then how to properly skate. And then we're learning strategy. So everything builds on itself. So we want to make sure that everyone who's out there is safe. And there is a minimum skills that we all have to pass before we play. So we're not just out there. I think there's a big misconception that it's just, girls and fishnets slamming into each other right whip it i'm right. sure yeah. how many times exactly. people like oh like the movie <laughs> and a lot of people in whip it are roller derby players that are very very good mm -hmm. um but as with everything when it's in pop culture it's a little bit more misrepresented mm -hmm. and it is a sport it's not like fake wrestling or anything like that mm -hmm. um everything that you see is real none of it is faked we if you fake things, you get a penalty for it. And how do you guys get... I feel like it's a pretty underground sport. It's not one of the ones that like, you hear about the most. It's like uh, pulling in that interest. How do you guys get a community interest as well as how did you start? So we'll start with that. Like, Melissa, okay. how did you start with roller derby? Well, I think for me personally, I was um, at the um, Dragon Boat Race a couple Septembers ago. And I was with a team representing the hospitality community. I work at a local hotel. And saw the Vixens, their camp was next to ours. So I think this is a perfect example of their community involvement and just watching how the team interacted with each other and how supportive they were and how encouraging they were. It was just contagious. And I wanted to be part of that. So I went to the website and literally the next week, the 101s were starting. So I had heard about the Vixens before. I had actually met some of the Vixens during Be a Tourist in Your Own Town so I had always come up with an excuse of, oh, I won't have the time. I don't know if I can do it. 
I've never done sports before. <laughs> I was one that was, you know, a nerd in school. I'm not going to be able to do this. And it was just so encouraging the way the 101 group embraced everyone. We have skill levels of, you know, people that have done sports before, people that have done skating before, gymnasts to those of us that have never done sports before. Mm -hmm. So it's very encouraging and it's very welcoming. So that was my 101s. I literally started the week after Dragon Boat. And for me, it took me, I went through 101s twice, but then finally made it on a team and was very excited and just... Again, it's a family culture. We all support each other. I heard about it on Twitter. Um, the league started up March, April-ish of 2010, and there was kind of a lot of buzz on Twitter. And so I heard about it in June, and so I was just like, I have to see what this is all about. I had no idea. I had never roller skated before. This was June of? 2010. Okay. I'd never skated before, never done sports before. And I was just like, I don't know. And I went to a practice and I was just hooked and I couldn't stop. So I got all my gear and started doing 101s. And then I sprained my ankle at my first practice. But five years later, I'm still here. Um, it's just, it's been a wild ride from starting out with a league with one team um, to growing to two, then growing to three, and then adding two juniors teams. It's been amazing because the support that we have from the Lansing community, we could not have done it without all of the Love Lansing folks, all of the people that want to make Lansing a better place. Um, it's just been amazing. I remember when I first heard of you guys, I was maybe a junior in high school, just like me, like, Three year, yeah, three years ago or so. And I was at a journalism camp at MSU campus, MIPA, mm -hmm. and the Vixens came in to kind of, it was like a helping us learn how to interview people and like go to conferences and ha interview and have a story. And I wrote a story about the Vixens. That was one of my first stories at MIPA. Precious. And I, oh, I had a question. This is a personal question, but is Luda Crush still around? No, she no. lives in South Dakota now. Oh, so sad. Yeah. <laughs> she graduated um, with her PhD and now she's a professor. Oh. In she was one of our smackademics. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, I remember that. Her little phrase, you've been ludicrushed. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, this is hilarious. I looked on your website, and since 2010, your goal has always kind of been to be a nationally recognized team, and you're already on your way to doing that. But since, um, Eileen, since you've kind of been with it since its inception, how has it gotten closer to reaching that goal over the years? It has been a wild ride <laughs> again. So we became a full member of the WFTDA only two years ago. And then we were Apprentice League for a year before that. And since that time, we've risen to 97th in the world, which is a crazy accomplishment for a team in Lansing. So the best teams in the world are in big cities. Like New York is the best team in the world. And then okay. Portland is the second best um, and then I think the Bay Area of California is the third best right now. And they have such a huge pool of people because they are in huge cities. And to be able to break into the top 100 in Lansing, which is not as big of a city, speaks a lot to me about how Lansing is rejuvenating and people are committed to making Lansing an amazing place to live and raise their families here and do cool things here. And it's not just another Midwestern city that's dying. 
So if we talk more about community, I know you guys are very involved. So how important is giving back to the community to your team? I think, I mean, it's essential to our team. And it's, we do so many different things. We did the homecoming parade for MSU last year and the support and the feedback and hearing from people later on in the week, oh my gosh, I saw you in the parade. That was so cool. <laughs> um, a couple weeks ago, I was down at the chili cook-off and I had my jacket on and someone came up to me, oh my gosh, you're, are, where are the rest of the Vixens? It's just, it's something I've never experienced before in my life to be part of such something so much bigger than yourself. You are part of this entity that people recognize and they recognize our logo and they recognize our players. And it's just a very, very cool feeling. And we want to give back to the community that supports us so much. I know like, so like to um, instill ideas like fitness and body positivity. So how else do you guys do that with your community, regards to community? I think the biggest thing that we're working on is with our juniors team. So when you're that age, seven to 18, mm-hmm. seven to 17, it's very important to keep um, girls' confidence up, to keep instilling these body positivities, the confidence, the self-confidence, the knowledge that you can do what you want to do in that age group. And I, the juniors are amazing. If I had the opportunity to be in roller derby when I was seven I would have never looked back. These girls are better than I am at playing. They just need to get bigger and and grow up, and then they can join our league, which is very exciting. We've had a couple of players age up, and now they're playing with our A-team, and they really have that confidence to go and do what they want to do in the world because of that. So do you guys have, like, a set of, like, rules for, like, just not in, like, how to be part of the team, but, like, just in common, like, respect to each other? Do you have sort of, like, a motto when it comes to the Vixens? I think it's it's just the culture of the league and how we are. I mean, very similar to any other family, there's going to be issues and there's going to be tiffs, but at the end of the day, we're all there for each other and we all support each other. And there's a lot of personalities and there's, you know, all of us are bringing very different backgrounds. You have business professionals, you have stay at home moms, you have nurses, you have faculty at MSU. So it's just important for us to be patient, to listen to each other and to come to a resolution. I think the biggest thing is respect Mm -hmm. for each other and making sure that we're being cognitive of that. And we're just like any other organization. We have bylaws, we have a code of conduct, we have policies. So in case any issue does arise, we can deal with it. But in my time, five years, it's very rare Mm -hmm. that anything happens. And it's usually, you know, it happens everywhere. It happens at work. It happens in your personal life. It happens with roller derby. Um, I kind of want to ask questions here is what do you want people maybe specifically Lansing to know about the Vixens? And you can say that as a story or like just you have a answer already in your head. I think for me, it's it's an opportunity for women of any background to join something that you may think that there's no way you could do this, but you can. And for me personally, talking about body image and how you look at yourself, I never in a million years thought I would be pay- playing a full contact sport. <laughs> And you see these women that are the smaller, you know, agile, quick ones that can get around and some of us larger girls that are good blockers and can hold people back. It's just incredible to see that. I mean, I know I could never be a gymnast or a cheerleader. I don't have that body type, but I know that I can play derby. So that to anyone out there who's listening that's thinking, is this something I really want? Yes. Join us. Go on our website. It will be amazing and you will love it. I would also want to 
talk about that aspect, the empowerment aspect. I had never played a sport before, and it's changed my life for the better. Um, other people who have played team sports know what I'm talking about, the camaraderie, the fact that, that your team has your back. But it's so much more than that because we are running an organization and there are things that need to be done. So, like, communications has to be done. Sponsorship has to be done. I have to reply to everybody who messages us on Facebook or comments on our Instagram or things like that. Um, we have to set up games. So it's more than just a sport. It's a whole package of life skills that even if you're not sure about something, you can jump in, learn it. And then you'll have that experience for the rest of your life. I don't even know what my, my life would be very different without the Vixens. They've definitely changed it, made it more awesome. <laughs> so for people that are listening, um, how can we get more involved about um, with the Vixens? Maybe that comes through sponsorship or um, actually joining the team or just wanting to keep up with events. Yeah, so we have a website, LansingDerbyVixens.com, that has all of our game information and links to buy tickets and a little bit of information about the team. Another great resource is to search Lansing Derby Vixens or Lansing Junior Vixens on Facebook. So we have Facebook pages. And if you have any questions, you can send a message to the page and I will respond personally to you. Um, another great way to keep up behind the scenes is we have an Instagram. So anything wild and crazy that's going on, um, I'll take a video or a picture and put it up on the Instagram page. So we're Lansing Derby Vixens on Instagram okay. and also on Facebook. So, And sponsorship. Sin can tell you all about sponsorship. We are always looking for sponsors to support the team, either with um, packages that we offer or in-kind donations. It's surprising the things that we need. Um, banners, flowers, you name it, different things, trophies for our MVPs. So not only just donations of sponsorship and advertising, but also in-kind donations are always greatly appreciated. Awesome. And is, is there anything else you'd like to add that maybe I didn't hit on enough that I can splice in there? Um, I would just like to mention, like with joining, sponsorship or volunteering is something that anybody can do. We have a wide range of sponsors from Modern Skate and Surf in East Lansing to Sinorama. to Sinorama, which sometimes you wouldn't think like, oh, my business can help empower women in Lansing, but it's really cool. And we have tons of positions and volunteer opportunities, even if you don't want to learn how to skate or you can't skate or you're not that interested in strapping on skates and hitting other people <laughs> all around. Um, we have a referee crew, so they're skating officials, and that is both men and women. And we also have non-skating officials, so people have to be in charge of points. People have to be in charge of statistics and penalties, and there's opportunities for everybody that is interested and eager to learn something new and to help out the Lansing community. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for coming in today. It's been a real pleasure, and good luck in your season. Thank you. Thanks for having us. You are listening to Exposure. On the Impact 89FM, I'm your host, Quinn Hoffman. Next on the show, Audrey Matus will try to understand Golden Harvest's attitude towards media and its refusal to expand. Zane and Vanessa Vicknair have piercings, tattoos, and own arguably the most popular breakfast spot in Lansing called the Golden Harvest. However, they'll be the first to tell you that what they do isn't special. It was completely accidental. Like, we never anticipated we just brought ourselves here. Just just having people like just be able to sit down and enjoy good food and not have to put on any airs. 
we can be ourselves and other people aren't totally freaked out and run away from us. They embrace us, you know. The Golden Harvest is known for its unique menu and locally grown ingredients. We'll crust French toast with fruity pebbles and, and then mix it with like local fresh organic berries. And it's kind of like fun food. Like food isn't supposed to be serious and untouchable. It's supposed to be messy and, and involved. Just as iconic as the food here is the loud music and dozens of customers who line up at the doors every morning. Well, we got here at 7.30, so it's actually, we got here late. Um, so we've only been here for like a half hour. So not, not, not too bad, not too bad. Golden Harvest is tiny and noisy. It sits a maximum of 34 people at a time and serves about 215 people daily within a seven hour window. Just to get in can be an hour and a half wait, but apparently it's worth it. Uh, the, I like the Captain Crunch French toast. So that's the, that's the food item I keep coming back for and then the atmosphere, it's just like, it's a fun place to eat breakfast. That's Ethan Yerkes. He's been coming to the Golden Harvest for three years, but refuses to wait in line for more than an hour. I asked him why he thought the place hasn't expanded. They've been successful for so long, so why mix up the format at all? People come, they wait in line, they eat their food and leave. And, uh, you know, if, they're, if everyone who works here and owns the place is happy with everything that's going, why change it? People are here. I sat down with the owners around 3 p.m. on a Sunday after another busy day of work. There was twice as many people that could actually fit into the building here an hour before we opened this morning. And then the door wouldn't open, so. With a dining experience that would seem to only appeal to a few, the popularity of the Golden Harvest continues to expand. And not through clever advertising. Golden Harvest has a closed-door policy when it comes to media. We don't advertise, we don't market, and we just have learned that the same reverence that the community feels about this place, they're protective of it, we're just as protective of it. Maybe we don't want to get bigger. You know, people have asked, why don't we expand? Why don't we make a bigger restaurant? And we would lose that intimacy. I wouldn't get to cook for everybody, and that wouldn't be my passion. On the outside, the Golden Harvest looks negligent of their customers' growing demand. But I learned that the small space and long wait are how Zay and Vanessa stay true to their customers. So all who enter their doors feel more like family rather than guests. There have been people that bring their grandchildren in now that would come in as somebody else's grandchild. There's our 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 children are definitely wanting a piece of this. You know, they want to carry on this tradition, and I just don't think it's broken. You know. It, if we got stretched too thin, it wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be what it is. Like, our priorities are a little different. You know, like, it's more important for us to take care of people. I love taking care of people. I, I, in the service industry, because it's one of my passions, I like the, the sensation, the feeling, like looking at somebody, seeing the twinkle in their eyes, and knowing that we together came together to kind of make this experience for somebody else. So. Before they were restaurant owners, the Vicnairs ran soup kitchens and worked at domestic violence shelters in Seattle. So working closely with people and giving them the best experience possible is always top priority. But new people don't always get that at first. Uh, they feel a little uncomfortable. They're not sure. This isn't like a safe spot. The this table isn't... sharing. That's the easiest way, easiest way to spot new people. And you can see somebody come in and they're clutching their purse as they kind of like are led to a table and they sit down with a complete stranger. But 15 minutes into it, they're laughing, they're joking, they're exchanging Facebook information, they are best friends forever. And then when I go to take their order, sometimes I don't remember which two came in with which two, <laughs> because they kind of just... Melt together a Yeah, little. and I kind of sometimes joke, I'm like, yeah, I guess I could keep you hanging out anyway, because that happens so frequently. 
like so frequently. It's amazing watching how the regulars, the, you know, the people that are here all the time, how they value that, and it's that attitude that has made made this place like so unique. That it's it's the community has built it. There is a recklessness to the Golden Harvest. Etiquette is not at the top of the rule book, but underneath the loud music and occasional rowdiness, there is a harmony among the people. And the line sucks, and the music is loud, and you know, you might not get your butt kissed or something right away. But that really weeds out, like, the people that you're left with are just such genuine, genuine people. And they really look out for each other, and they, it's, it's nice. And it's so loud in here, people can't be on their cell phones. They can't be talking. They have to engage with one another. They have to. And that's like, I don't think that that's unique to America, but I think society in general is becoming more and more personalized. People are spending more time on their devices or in their head and they're not reaching out to people. So this is kind of like, bring your whole self. Come on down and you have no idea what to expect, but if you keep your eyes open, you know, you're bound to have fun. After talking with Zane and Vanessa, I think of them more as heads of a household. They cook the food and make the rules, and while some people may not agree with how they run their home, underneath the chaos of the golden harvest lie the best parts of humanity, uniqueness, sharing, and of course, great food. So if you're wondering when the restaurant owners will change their ways, they'll have to take it up with their customers first. In other words, not anytime soon. For Impact News, I'm Audrey Matus. You are listening to Exposure on the Impact 89FM MSU's student-run radio station. I'm your host, Quinn Hoffman. Next up, local teen musician who had the opportunity to work with John Weir, named Taylor Taylor. So I'm sitting down with a recent Okemos graduate, Taylor Taylor. She's had an awesome opportunity where she went to Los Angeles last week to work with Tom Weir and John Shanks. Am I correct? Yeah. And so she's here today. And thank you, Taylor, first of all. Thanks for having me. And so let's start just getting to know more about who you are and your music. Um, when did you start playing music and when did you start songwriting? Yeah, um, I'd always grown up like listening to music and like just singing around the house. Um, but when I was about eight years old is when I had my first guitar lesson. Um, and then the songwriting part didn't kick in until maybe like 14 or 15 is when I started to dive into that field. Awesome. And can you kind of describe your sound for listeners? Yeah. Um, when I'm solo, it's kind of like singer, songwritery, like acoustic. And I use a lot of jazz chords to give it like a little bit of feel. Uh, but then when I play with my band, it's kind of like a full pop rock kind of sound. Awesome. And so when did you start like actually playing at venues and having little yeah. concerts? <laughs> I think I was like nine or so when I did like my very first recital at um, the place where I was taking music lessons at Marshall Music and then that was when I was like oh my gosh I love this and I really didn't want to leave the stage and so when I was like 12 is when I started doing like I started out with doing background music for different like like dinners or events around town and then just kind of grew from there to doing like open mic nights and then now I'm doing like summer concert series and like Common Ground was awesome, yeah, and now just ground. playing around Michigan. 
awesome. You've even been to the Crowfoot too, the Pike Yeah, Grill. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that one. And so recently, however, you went to LA. Do you mind giving us giving us a little bit of a story about how that happened <laughs> when you found out? Yeah. Give us a little story here. Um, there's this website called indie.com and it's where you can like upload videos and there's like cash prizes and things like that. And um so I uploaded this one video and um the VP of music, John Shanks, he like really liked it and he named me like 2014 indie artist of the year Mm -hmm. and so originally my prize was like a skype call with john shanks but then indie called me and they're like hey so he actually really wants to meet you in person like would you be willing to fly out to la and so like i got to do that and that was awesome because i'd never been to la before awesome and what kind of um events what was your daily activities while you're in LA or what were you kind of doing yeah I was there for about a week okay and we were like doing stuff all the time you know we did like the touristy sightseeing stuff like right. seeing the stars and like the Hollywood sign um but while I was there there was a gig set up for me at this place called the mint in LA and I love doing that there are these three other artists that I got to like perform with and I just love talking with them and like seeing what they think of the music scene down there and such and those artists, they're pretty well-known on YouTube, right? What are their names? And kind of like, they're also young yeah. teen artists, yeah? One of them was on, I think it was Top top 20 or Top 10 Girls of X Factor. Well, okay. That was Riley Brown. And there was another dude named Chase Goring and Dylan Holland. And they're both really popular on Twitter. So um, there was like a meet and greet beforehand. And there were all of these teenage girls, like so excited to see Chase and Dylan bringing like flowers and like their favorite candy <laughs> and stuff. It was really funny. That's asking for signatures and right. all that. That's right. I feel you're more laid back than that. You're like, yeah, yeah. the hype, but it's cool. <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> So would you mind like maybe playing a song for us here in the middle of our interview? We'll get back to more questions after. I'd love to. Awesome. Okay. Uh, this song is called Candy Store, and it's actually one of the songs that I got to record in L.A., so I hope you like it. Can't stop myself from smiling all the time. It's the thought of you that gets me through Face to face, your hand on my waist I don't want to say goodbye It's crystal clear what I feel when it me And not like those other guys You're everything in my that I've been looking for That I've been looking for That I've been looking for Like a little kid who walked into a store you know that I'll be yours for as long as you let me I'll be yours with you I want to spend all of my time no it don't matter where if I'm with you then I don't care see you Store, you know that I'll be yours for as long as you let me. I'll be 
I remember, I feel like the only times I've really heard you sing before are like, um, I don't know, like in school. So like <laughs> talent shows and things. But now because confession, I also went to Okemos. So we are alumni. Alumnus. Go Chiefs. <laughs> Go Chiefs. Um, I would like, just curious to know, um, what's your writing process kind of like when you're writing song? And pro- do you write also the instrumental part yeah. as well? So how is what kind of your process and your inspiration for that? In the beginning, it was like really tough for me to figure out the lyrical part of it. Like, I'd try to write something, and it would just sound, like, cliche and, like, embarrassing. Um, so I was I was really good at the melody and, like, the chords. But now that I've been practicing and, like, kind of analyzed songs that I listen to or that I like on the radio, I've gotten a lot better at the lyrics part. Um, so sometimes it's the lyrics that come first, and then sometimes it's the melody. And sometimes it's the chords that inspire me to write something. With every song, it's a bit of a different feel. In reference to your recent trip in L.A., I'm sure it was not only a great experience just like meeting new people and going to these different concert venues, but probably an internal experience. So what are some like lessons you learned as an artist or as a person, if you see those separately? Yeah. <laughs> what are some lessons that you kind of took away? Um, when I met John Shanks, um, he was like a super cool producer, Grammy Award winning dude. And uh, he gave me a lot of good advice like when I was meeting him. And one of the things he said was just write a lot of songs. Like even if they're really bad, there might be there might be a pre-chorus that you really liked and that you could kind of steal from yourself and turn into a better song. Um, but I really disliked being in L.A. and being, like, around all these people that are, like, so energetic because they're, like, actors and actresses, musicians, and there's just this energy down there that just makes you feel good and makes me want to play more music. Yeah, a little different from Michigan, maybe. Just a, a, little, a little different. <laughs> weather-wise. Um, and I also... I'm was kind of stalking you on Facebook as well. It's all good. And I saw that you are you made a post like, I played on John Lennon's piano. <laughs> so that's pretty exciting if you want to talk more about that. But also, what was your kind of favorite moment while yeah. you are in L.A.? Um, in John Shank's studio, there were, like, all of these great people that had played there before. And he said, was it, like, U2 or Coldplay that just used this foot pedal and this amp over here was used by the Rolling Stones. and just, like, let me touch everything and just take everything in. <laughs> but one of the highlights was the gig, I think, and being able to, like, play in front of the crowd and say that I played in L.A. And we had family that was there that we actually stayed with for a while. And it was super cool that, like, they came out to hear me and we had another friend that lives in L.A. that came out to see me, too. And so it's just nice that, you know, wherever I'm playing, whether it's in L.A. or in Michigan or 
in like Nashville, we had family there too, that people are so supportive and they all come together and it's really nice. What do you see in your future? What do you want to do? Are you more in the songwriting aspect? You want to like write for other artists or like what's kind of your dream with your talent here? Yeah, I would love to be able to do both. Like I love you know, writing music and then like I get to say that I write my own music and then play my own music. Um, but I'd also like to um, kind of dive into other genres and be able to you know, write all different kinds of songs and not be like a one trick pony and just stick to my genre mm-hmm. um, but I would really just love to you know perform and travel and tour and be able to write and sing mm-hmm. I read I think on your believe on your website that you're also interested are like philanthropy and like giving like just being a kind of a good person so how do you kind of involve that with your music yeah as an artist I like that I have um, the opportunity to like to play for people and to make people smile and um, there is this one gig that I did with all of these Girl Scouts, like elementary school Girl Scouts, and I um, came and played like like Katy Perry songs, and, like songs that I knew they would like, and I just love seeing people happy and seeing people like enjoy my music. Um, so I like volunteering my time and just making people happy with it. Awesome! And then we're gonna play one more song. Uh, this next song is called "Right Here," and I wrote it one summer. It was like September, right before school started. And I was feeling really bummed because I had to like go back to school and homework and stuff that nobody really wants to deal with. Agreed. Um, <laughs> but then I was like, it's all good. Everybody's been here before, and this is where I should be right now. So it's called Right Here. Awesome. I've never been in a clique to mess with there's no drama queens or queen bees around here i'm not as lucky as the cool kids with the hybrid cars or the close friends of the movie stars but i can live with everything i'm not and i'm still waiting for reality to come and give me life so until then i'll sit tight right here yeah, right here is where I should be, and here is where I'm happy, and nothing can stop me, I've got everything right here. And I'll make time for that Like love songs on the radio What it feels like I don't know So until then I'll sit tight right here Yeah, right here is where I should be And here is where I'm happy Nothing can stop me I've got everything right here time to complain I gotta maintain the campaign for happiness in this life and there's a million little things that can bring you down 
Cause you let them around Yeah, yeah I'm supposed to be Right here yeah, Right here is where I should be And here is where I'm happy And nothing can stop me I've got everything Right here Nothing can stop me, I've got everything right here. Right here, yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Okay, so that was called I Am Here. It's called Right Here. Right Here, Right, right Now. Here. All right. <laughs> Could you mind um, telling listeners a bit more like how they can hear your music? Um, and see you in upcoming shows. Yeah, if you're interested in seeing me in upcoming gigs or finding more music, um, you can go to taylortaylormusic.com, and that has my Twitter and my Facebook and YouTube and all that stuff on there. And also stay tuned because I have a new EP coming out this summer, which I'm super excited for. And where they, they can find that on your website as well? Yes. At Taylor Music. TaylorTaylorMusic.com. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming in today. Thank you. That's going to do it for the show tonight. A special thanks to our general manager, Ed Glazer, our station manager, Sammy Leonardo, our assistant news director who's behind the glass right now, Audrey Matus, and our impact reporter, Jack Montgomery. You can find all episodes of Exposure podcasted online at www.impact89fm.org. You've been listening to Exposure, and I've been your host, Quinn Hoffman. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, you've been listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure.